0: pick that song right before the message because uh, it really communicates and kind of leads into uh, what we're going to study this morning as uh, we finish up our series in Malachi. And uh, my prayer is that this has been a a challenging series to walk through with you. And uh, I'm just as excited to follow up uh, starting next week. uh, We're going to do a series on authentic community. Is what we're going to be walking through for the month of August. And so I'd encourage you to join us um, to prequel that. I'd encourage you guys to read Acts chapter 2. And uh, that's kind of going to be the foundation on which we build the rest of that. And we think about uh, why is community important? What does that look like? Uh, what is not just community, but authentic, biblical community look like? And uh, why should we desire to be a part of that? So... Uh, be sure and uh, look at that, and uh, we look forward to digging into that. <clears throat> and uh, oh, before any of you get worried, uh, I have a pocket full of cough drops today, so <laughs> I'm good. In fact, I when I showed up this morning um, after we got done practicing music, I walk out here and there's this giant bag of cough drops at center point with my name on it. So whoever you are, God bless you. Thank you. Um, I had actually put them in my pocket before I came today because I told my wife. I said, I'm not letting this <laughs> happen again. So we should be good. And I told her, as long as I have them in my pocket, I will probably never need it. It will be the, the only time that I don't have it is when it's going to be a problem. So well, we should be good today. So I'm excited. And uh, open your Bibles to Malachi. Um, Malachi chapter 3. If you don't know where Malachi is, find the book of Matthew it's the first book in the New Testament, and go back one book, okay? So, um, Malachi, and uh, we're going to finish this up today, but we've got quite a bit of ground to cover as we finish Malachi chapter 3 and through chapter 4 as well, and uh, this is a challenging text, and I've said that each week because it's true, and... The reality of this is this has been a, a challenge to study and prep. And I I don't know about you, but when I read through the book of Malachi, I'm burdened with the weightiness of this. And as we've talked about previously and this, I'm just going to emphasize one more time because uh, this is crucial to you anytime you open up the book of Malachi. Who is Malachi writing to? Shout it out. Who is it? Israel. Everyone say Israel. Okay, Israel, this is really important and I'll emphasize once more because we need to understand who the original recipients of this was in order for us to fully grasp what God is seeking to communicate to us today. And so Israel has uh, been in this state of mind where they've seen God work in powerful ways. If we go back to Exodus, we even go back farther than that. We could go back into Genesis, and you see the power of God. You see God working in ways that oftentimes uh, we wonder what that would be like. And yet the people still decided, I'm going to do my own thing, my own way. And God is rebuking them Different groups, different specific instances, but we come back to this really core, key issue of apathy, this attitude of, I don't care. God is who He says He is, I don't care. God told me, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is what I'm supposed to follow after, I don't care. And even though we don't see specific instances where the people might say those exact words, their attitude And the way they approach the commands of God reveal that about the condition of their hearts. And so as we jump into this day, I'm going to start off and read this section of Scripture starting at verse 13 all the way through chapter 4. And then after that, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for us and pray that God would challenge us with the realities of where we're at and maybe where we're saying, I'm unaware that I'm having an apathetic attitude towards the commands of Scripture, but I might, okay? So let's read together. I'm going to start Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 13, and understanding this is coming on the tail end of God's uh, rebuke towards the people because they were robbing Him by not bringing the commanded tithes and offerings into His temple, and we talked about that last week. Verse 13 says, your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings." You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of Children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction Heavenly Father, we praise you for your word We thank you that you are a God who is worthy of our worship, but you are worthy of our time of our attention Father, I pray that you challenge us this morning with the realities of the book of Malachi that is we look at this rebuke that was stated towards Israel, that we would reflect upon the condition of our own hearts and recognize the areas where we need to make shifts, where we need to adjust and fear you in a way that we pursue you and glorify your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> So have you ever had someone give you directions to a certain place? Maybe it's new to you or maybe someone moved and so they send you directions or maybe they text you those directions and you might glance at them or you might listen subconsciously to what they're telling you and then the minute you get in the car, you drive away and you forget what they told you. Have you ever experienced, has anyone ever experienced, I have done this several times And in fact, in that moment, you tend to be too embarrassed to pick up the phone and go, you know what, those directions you gave me like two minutes ago, yeah, I wasn't listening. I, I was making icon, I was present, but I just, you know what, I got in the car, I totally forgot. Or maybe, maybe you do have the directions, you know where you're going, but it gets dark. Or you're so enthralled in a conversation with the person riding with you that you completely miss your turn. And now you're somewhere where you have no idea where you are and you're not really sure how to get back. Or maybe you're the type of person who gets lost and then you decide, oh, I've got this figured out. I've lived here for 30 years. I can get around. And no matter how many times your wife tells you to stop and ask for directions, you refuse. Yes, guys, I'm talking to you. Okay. realistically anymore A lot of us would just pull out our phone And type in the address on our GPS And that would reroute us and get us But I tell you, there are some places that thing will not take you And if it does take you It will not take you to the right place Um, If you ever want stories about Many times that has happened Talk to Twig at Faith Bible Camp And he'll tell you the number of people Who've tried to get out that way And get taken down this dirt road That ends up being a mud road And they get stuck in the creek Now, the reason I bring this up is because whether or not we recognize it, um, we have the tools, we have the resources. Oftentimes, we have a map or we have a GPS. We're not lacking the utensils we need to get where we're going. But rather, we lack the perseverance many times or the self-discipline to follow through in order to retain those things well enough that when I get off track... I know what to do. And the reality of even recognizing it doesn't do you any good to have a map or a GPS in your possession if you never use it for what it was intended for. Now, this morning, as we look at this final text in the book of Malachi, I want to draw out and upon this idea that we have a tendency as followers of Christ to get off track and then throw our hands up and go, I don't know where I missed my turn and I don't know where to go from here, even though we're not lacking the tools we need to reset. And so our main idea today as we finish this, and really a main idea throughout the entire book of Malachi that you could trace back every individual specific instance is this. Selfishness breeds spiritual apathy. Godly fear or humility produces spiritual growth. Selfishness breeds spiritual apathy godly fear slash humility produces spiritual growth now We're going to embellish upon that some more and I want you to understand that humility in and of itself does not automatically equal godly fear And that's really important for us to recognize it is an attribute that if you do not Have humility if you are not a humble person you are going to struggle in huge ways to fear God. Because by default, in order for me to fear God, I have to recognize in and of myself that I cannot do it alone. And in fact, that God is much higher, much stronger, much more powerful than me. That takes a measure of humility to do. But to kind of open up and allow us to see the broader spectrum of the apathy or the "I don't care" attitude. Everyone say "I don't care," okay? Well, we're going to care. Um, that I want to. I want to just go back, and I'm going to highlight all of the phrases, all of the responses the people of Israel stated throughout the book of Malachi that emphasize this reality. In chapter one, verse one, they said, "How have you loved us?" How have you loved us, God? And many of us might read that and laugh and go, What what do you mean? Did you guys not see what God did for you? Well, we could probably say the same thing for us. How have you loved us, God? Verse 6 says, How have we despised your name? How have we despised your name? Verse 7, How have we polluted you? Chapter 2, verse 14 they asked the question, why does he not? And this is in reference to him refusing to accept the sacrificial offerings they were bringing. He wasn't accepting them. Well, why, why not, God? Why does he not? And as we saw in that text, it was they had profaned the covenant of marriage that God had intended for them. And they were wondering, well, God, why don't you honor that? Why don't you bless this? Why, why do you not? Chapter 2, verse 17, asks the question How have we wearied him? How have we wearied you, God? How have we caused you any measure of remorse towards us? Now, last week we saw the question How have we robbed you? God, you're saying we've done that. How? how? How have we robbed you? And then today in chapter 3, verse 13, how have we spoken? Against you. Now, the reason I bring these up is because we might look back across each section of Malachi and go, "Well, how do we really know that that was their general attitude?" And I'm I'm here to tell you that when God speaks to His people, and they are unaware of how they are moving against that, it reveals a sense that I don't really have an idea either, one, of where I am truly at or, two, what God has truly commanded. Because if I truly knew what God commanded, then it all the more emphasizes that I am just having an I don't care attitude because I continue to live this way. And no matter how many times God brings it up over and over and over again, I refuse to acknowledge and I ask these questions. Well, how have I done that? In the same way, we can be so knowledgeable about what God says and rattle off memory verses or quote scripture or say, I've heard that before and yet be so unaware of what I'm truly doing that it negates anything that I have spent time studying or pouring into myself. These two have to go together at the same time. And so we see these statements and you and I are prone to the same thing. We're prone to the same thing when we see God move, we see Him work, we see all this take place and we continue to live in a way that negates everything we've affirmed from God's Word. And what that does is it reveals the condition of our heart to where we can honestly ask the question, Do I really fear God? Now, as we look at this text, there's really only two options that are given as a response to God's rebuke and God's commands. Those two options are, you either fear the Lord or you don't. You either fear God or you don't. There's no middle ground here. And in fact, we see that specifically when he identifies in verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. Now this automatically assumes if there's a separate group that actually feared the Lord, then there was another group that did not. And I often believe that that's exactly what happens to in many places of worship all over the world is that either we hear the rebuke of God, we open His Word and we read the truth, this God-inspired truth given to us that many all over the world crave to have in their own possession and we either fear God or we don't. There's no middle ground. Turn your neighbor and say, there's no middle ground. Just so we're all clear and that no one's without excuse. Okay? The question we could ask is, well, were they all subject to the same teaching? Everyone say yes. Okay, we know that because God instilled in Moses... He spoke to Moses and the law was established and it was taught, it was communicated, it was practiced. The people knew it. They were all held to the same standard. Were they all held to the same? I just answered your question, but were they all held to the same standard according to the law? Everyone say yes. Okay. And yet, there is no middle ground. The emphasis here, church, this is, this is the main point of this. You cannot sit on the fence and expect to honor God with your life. You cannot sit on the fence and expect to honor God with your life. And we use this illustration at the very beginning of our series. In that, believe it or not, when you put up a fence and you pasture a group of cows or any other livestock... They tend to stay on one side of the fence or the other. And I only had one experience with my steer who happened to want to sit in the middle of the fence. And it was not fun. You cannot stay in the middle, church. You, you can't. And we convince ourselves of this each, each week. And I, I'm not saying that you all do that and I've somehow mastered this because I, I do the same thing. I do the same thing when I'm given an opportunity and I, I just pass it up. I, I get, no. I'm, I do the same thing when I convince myself that I'm doing well when it comes to walking in step with God and His commands and yet am okay with a quote-unquote subpar or small sin issue. Oh, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal. The reality of this is I can't, I can't sit in the middle And bounce back and forth and go, well, you know what, today I choose to fear God, but tomorrow I'm going to do my own thing. And, you know, it's going to vary day by day. Either you fear God or you don't. Now, this text goes on to communicate the reality, the eternal, the lasting reality for each one of those. The first thing we see is for the wicked, for those who don't fear the Lord, okay, Ultimately, that's what it comes down to. The wicked, judgment and justice await. So look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and evil, all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Now we read a passage of scripture like that, And some of us, if we've spent a large amount of time in the New Testament and very little time in the Old Testament, we may ask the question, what, what, this isn't, this isn't the God that I thought was communicating. I thought He was a God of love and acceptance and what is this about people becoming stubble and burning and what, what is this? How many of you have ever asked that question as you've read some of those passages of Scripture? It's, it's okay to ask that question, honestly, because I, that's probably the biggest question I get asked consistently across the board. How do you rectify the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New? And I'm telling you, you cannot have one without the other. Because if we take one without the other, it's like that cereal box illustration. We're putting God in a box that we've created. It doesn't change who He is. It just changes who we think He is. And the reality is, Psalm 34, you can drop this reference down. Psalm 34, 15 through 18 says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and His ears toward their cry. That's really hopeful. That's the kind of thing I want to be reminded of as a follower of God. The face, But it goes on, it doesn't stop there. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. In the same way, Psalm 37 verse 28 says, For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to think that God is going to protect me from evil. Don't you? Do, you? do you really hope and believe that God is going to protect me from wickedness, from evil? And that that promise, that protection, is eternal in nature? It's not just temporary? And yet... By the very desire to serve a God who does that. We desire a God who is just. Who says, I will repay the wicked for what they've done. And how does that fit into the New Testament? It fits into the New Testament. This is where Jesus intersects in the middle of this. And God says, there has to be justice for the wickedness that's taken place. But I love my people so much. I don't want them to have to endure that wickedness. So I'm going to send my son and he's going to endure the pain, the suffering, the anguish that each one of us deserves. So that you will be counted righteous. We lose sight of that church. We lose sight of this and without the contrast to see God's response to the wicked, how God truly views sin. Then we lose the depth of the gospel. We lose the power within the salvation through Christ. We lose how big, how massive God's grace is. And when we see his attitude towards wickedness, it should make us all the more humble before him and going, God, I fear you because I know what you're capable of. I know you can take anything out with the snap of a finger. And yet you chose to save me through Christ. And in that moment, we have to recognize that it has to be God's way for salvation, not our own. Because God is the one who is just. Not us. We can't create that in and of ourselves. And here's the second part of this promise. For those who fear the Lord, joy and healing are promised. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now, church, I want to challenge a thought process that we often have and that, believe it or not, Israel had as well. And that's this... Reality that we often come to God's Word with a mentality, maybe sometimes subconsciously, where we say, I've already got this figured out. I've got this determined already. And I'm reading God's Word, maybe I'm showing up here on Sunday morning because it's what I'm supposed to do, but I really, you know, I've kind of been doing the same thing for most of my life. I've I've, pretty much got this figured out. And, church, I, I want to challenge that because it, the reality is if I come at God's word with an I've got this figured out attitude, or I know how to get there myself, I don't need directions, I don't need help, I don't need the map, I don't need my GPS, when I miss a turn or things get dark, I have put myself in a place where I am dependent on me. And then I scream at God. As to why he has allowed me to get here. My own self blinds me from the truths and the promises of God. If you look back at chapter 3 verse 13. When God says your words have been hard against me. And the people say. How have we spoken against you? In verse 14. God articulates, you have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit, if you make notes in your Bible, I would encourage you to circle that word, of, of our keeping his charge, or maybe in your translation it's gain, whatever that word is, circle that or box it in or underline that. What is the profit of our keeping his charge of, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And then they look at the other side, and now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, box that one in and underline it, but they put God to the test and they escape. What, what do we identify here? The nation of Israel was so concerned about how serving God was going to benefit them. That they missed everything else that God said, you are created to worship And glorify my name, not your own. And in the midst of that, we see all of a sudden that it was the selfishness of going, God, I don't understand how these sacrifices are benefiting me. I don't understand how all these laws and rules and regulations are helping me, profiting me. In church, we do the same thing. What does it profit me to serve others? What does it profit me to love my enemies? What does it profit me to give even when it hurts? What does it profit me to even be wronged and yet choose to model Christ in a situation? What does it profit me to care for those who aren't cared for and others might look down upon? What does it profit me to spend time with people who others may say, why are you talking with them? So how do we apply this, church? The reality is I want to challenge us to practice the self-discipline of fearing the Lord. And I'm going to give you four ways this morning that you can begin to do that. First off, know what the Lord says. Simple terms, read the Bible. Read God's Word. Know what He says. It's hard to follow something that you don't spend time looking at. Okay? Okay? Don't step out and try to drive the route without first opening up the map and looking at what roads are going to get you there. Know what the Lord says. Two, recognize who the Lord is. The more you read Scripture, the more you're going to identify this is who God really is. And let me tell you, the more you find out who God really is, the more it's going to increase your fear of Him. Not in an unhealthy way, but in a way that Causes you to recognize why so many in scripture are before God on their knees on their face because they see The reality of who God is we have lost that as a culture Recognize who the Lord is sovereign holy righteous God Number three Evaluate the areas of my life where I don't fear the Lord Evaluate the areas of my life where I don't fear the Lord. This is crucial, church. And we're going to do something here in a minute as a beginning exercise to this. Because if we don't do the self-evaluation and recognize this is where I'm fearing God, this is what's taking place, then I'm going to struggle to get back to where I should be. And the fourth thing prayerfully allow God to shift your thinking. In other words, as you think about these truths, as you think about these things, evaluate and pray. Ask God, God, I want to walk in a way that fears you. I want to walk in a way that lives in light of the truths that I know. I want to pursue you in a way that is glorifying you. I don't want to become apathetic. I don't want to sit on the fence I want to be effective, and maybe you're here today, and you're doubting this whole thing as a, as a whole. You, you're you're here because someone brought you, or maybe you just felt like you should come, and you're questioning this. You're going, I don't, I don't even know if this God stuff is. I don't really understand why this is a necessity at all. And can I just encourage you to? Allow yourself to open up to asking some hard questions Asking questions that go against the grain of what you've always been told And, and questioning some of this and going God, I, I don't know if you exist, but if you do Show me, show me in a powerful way And start there, and don't stop Don't stop because you hit a hiccup in the journey Keep searching, ask questions any of the, ask, ask people here to walk alongside of you But don't just sit Now I'm one who likes practical Visible Felt application of these things And so in the pew in front of you There's these little cards with six slots on them Okay Six slots on them I want all, every one of you to grab one Because I want to make sure each one of you has one And if you don't have one I want you to raise your hand so I can get you one Okay Okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to stay seated. We're going to play this song. And I want you to answer the question. Or finish the sentence. I need God to be over this. Now the easy answer to this question is I need God to be over everything. Every part of my life. That's true. Okay, that's valid. But the reality of this is. There's an area in your life or maybe several areas where it is more prevalent than others that you have just taken control of this yourself and it is not God's. You have not let it go, you have not allowed God to be over whatever that is. And I want to encourage you to write that down. Whatever that is, however many there are. If you need to continue on to the back side, do that. Okay? And then at the end of that song, We've got these two microphones up here And what I want to challenge you with Is a few of you To come forward and just share A few of the things on your list And the reason I want you to Consider doing that is because Often we come, we sit Side by side And we don't truly recognize The reality that I have brothers and sisters Who are struggling with the same things I'm struggling with Who are struggling to hand These things over to God in the same way I am And so for us to put voice to that and say, this is where I'm at. This is truly where I'm at. I want you to do that. So if you join with me, we're going to play this song. I want you to focus on writing out what those are. I need God to be over what? And then we're going to share a few of those and we're going to close with a final song before we leave today. All right. Go ahead and fill that out.